I'm Max Stevenson, and I serve as the director of the Institute for Policy and Governance, and we're delighted to see this crowd today. Um, our general topic will be food systems, and we have two superb people to think with us about that. One is Professor Kim Nawalny, who is a good friend and colleague uh, here at the university in agricultural leadership and community education. And the other is Jeanette Abinader, who comes to us from Charlottesville with a long background in community food systems. And judging from what I hear from both of them, they're going to keep you busy during this roundtable session uh, in an activist kind of way. I do want to encourage you to come along this evening as well um, at 7 o'clock. Uh, and this is, this is room whatever. This is room B. So we'll be in room F at 7 o'clock uh, here at the GLC this evening for uh, the evening talk. This is more informal this afternoon, and they'll have more of a formal presentation this evening. Uh, so do come along to that as well. Andy reminds me this is the 39th um, Community Voices speaker in this series. Um, they're archived on the website, so you can go and have a listen or look uh, for many of them if you're interested in past speakers, many of whom, or at least several of whom I should say, have been involved with community food systems. The students involved in Community Voices are the ones who choose our speakers. They're the ones who make the suggestions. They're the ones who take time from incredibly busy graduate school schedules. Uh, to be involved in this interdisciplinary forum on community change that is Community Voices. Um, it crosses colleges, it crosses programs. We have students that are both in PhD and master's level programs involved. Um, if you're not involved and are interested in community change, I would encourage you to come, check out the group, uh, become involved, um, and become involved in this forum. It's kind of a floating forum, um, and you get to think uh, with your colleagues about major issues in community change. Um, a small group from the, from the Community Voices group will in fact be presenting at a panel at the upcoming Appalachian Studies Association, for example. They're an amazing group, um, and I, I really do encourage you, if you're interested in the general topic of community change, to become engaged yourselves if you can. It's always a pleasure to have folks. It occurred to me a couple times ago that I really didn't need to introduce our guests since I wasn't really inviting them often. I was simply saying, well, that's a good idea. Uh, to the various students who are inviting them. So I want to turn the microphone over to Lorian McCauley, who's a participant in Community Voices, um, who in fact suggested our guests, and have her introduce them to you. Thank you, Max. Um, yes, I'm Lorian McCauley. I'm a PhD student in my final year of the Agricultural Leadership Community Education doctoral program here at Tech. And um, I wanted to say that I first became aware of Jeanette Abinader's work years ago when I was working on um, community food issues in West Virginia. And the West Virginia Community Hub organized a series of search conference type get-togethers and we were working through the whole measures for community food systems. And I thought, well, isn't this just such a neat toolkit that some folks have put together and so you know knowing that you know now um, years later of course finding myself in grad school we're actually looking at the uh, whole measures for community food systems in um, Kim Nawalny, uh, Kim Nawalny's class and um, really excited to be sort of like kind of piecing apart how how the actual toolkit works and so very excited to have two guests to be able to discuss this today um, our first guest, of course, is Jeanette Abinader. She is the executive director of the City Schoolyard Garden Project currently. Uh, Jeanette has worked with the National Food Justice Nonprofit, the Community Food Security Coalition, which co-founded the National Farm to School Network and was instrumental in the passage of the Healthy, Hunger-Free Kids Act. As a Community Food Security Coalition's evaluation and training 
and capacity building director, she used a variety of learning strategies to support the work of hundreds of organizations and funders. She wrote publications on strategic evaluation design, including whole measures for community food systems, community food project indicators of success, and growing communities curriculum. She is the former board treasurer for the American Community Gardening Association, vice president of the Southern Sustainable Agricultural Working Group Board of Directors, and a founding member of the Growing Food and Justice for All Initiative, a national network focused on dismantling racism in the food system. Jeanette is an experienced farmer and holds a master's degree in sustainable systems agroecology and is a certified permaculture designer and instructor. Thank you very much, Jeanette, for being here. I wanted to also explain um, Kim Nawolny. Many of us, of course, know Kim Nawolny. Um, <laughs> she's the woman who needs no introduction here at Tech. Um, so, of course, she's an associate professor in my department, Agricultural Leadership and Community Education. She is my uh, Boston advisor, so excited to have her. Um, and uh, her work is grounded in asset-based community development, critical pedagogy, action research, and narrative inquiry. Her current research emphasizes the political praxis of community food work, Appalachian Community Food Security, New Farmers Sustainability, and Farm Worker Care and Dignity. She launched the Stories of Community Food Work in Appalachia project to create and share stories that illustrate the experience of activists, educators, farmers, and practitioners who are connected to the broader issues of food system change in the Appalachian region. And today, uh, Jeanette and Kim will discuss community building, food security, and inclusivity. Who and with, with Kim, of course, whose scholarship centers on the role of power in community education with a focus on social justice and food systems. So I just want to say thank you very much to our guests, and we're excited to get started here. Well, thank you, Lorianne. That's very kind um, and generous introduction, and Max, just the same. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and really it's a pleasure to to share this space with, with Jeanette. Um, uh, our paths have crossed in different ways, and some of you in this room might remember actually visiting Jeanette at, the, um, at one of the public schools in Charlottesville about two years ago yeah. for um, an opportunity we had to visit the Farm to School conference that was taking place at the same time, and Jeanette was gracious with her time to engage with us for a conversation on the whole measures. And so, so thank you again for, for yeah. allowing us to do that. Um, However, you got to know a little bit about, more about us. We really want to orientate today's uh, roundtable discussion with you. I think many of you know good education starts with experience, and that means your experience. And we want to um, kind of focus on the role of values, obviously, as we think about whole measures. But we want to start this afternoon thinking about setting the context for today and then even into the evening if you choose to come tonight. Um, if you can't, that's wonderful. Your ideas will be brought into the evening and we will carry that forward. So what we, what we have asked you to do, if you um, have your handy uh, note card, we asked you to respond to the prompt that's on the whiteboard um, behind Bob and, and others in the corner here. Um, what are the values and practices you vision for a healthy and just food system? And that's the question we really carry ourselves, but we carry that for you to think about and think deeply about your context, your positionality, your care in the food system. And we would like, if you already haven't done that, we invite you now to respond to that prompt and we are gonna open it up to the room. 
and look to you to help frame the conversation, and which is, in fact, based on the, the spirit of the whole measures, which is based on our context and our dialogue to understand what our values are. So if you haven't done that, I'll just take a pause here and let you contemplate. I think you probably have given that some thought. So I think our, our plan is we'll go around. Just, and can even just popcorn. Just, just popcorn, yeah. that'd be great. Just making sure everyone has the time to do so. And then Jeanette's going to take some time to, to kind of make some connections from her perspective, and I'll do the same. And I think by that time, we might be Ready. toward the end. Yeah. So who would like to begin? Just pop, if you don't just, yeah, calling out what you had on there. <coughs> Thank you. If you don't mind, before you share, just telling us your name, too. Okay. I am Robert Bass. Thank you, Robert. Dr. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Robert is awesome. <laughs> Someone else just. Thank you, Lily. My name is Professor Schoenberger, and I agree with Lily about what she said related to science. But um, I also believe that it should be community specific. Thank you. My name is Ana Irwin. Um, I also said intergenerational and inclusive and democratic. Thank you. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Is that Phyllis? again and I just wanted to add the element of sort of producer side issues that it has to be I think uh, you know my value for a just and healthy food system is um, to really that the farmer is also sort of making a livelihood and able to get by um, in today's climate great that's wonderful thank you all so much (laughs) anyone else feel the urge before we move on to say to share so if we had more time, if we were doing like a half a day, you would see me do like a little word wrap with all of this. But since we only have an hour, you're going to have to miss that part. <laughs> um, thank you for inviting me here. It's such um, an honor and a privilege to be here and to be part of this dynamic um, growth of knowledge that you all have been doing over the years. I loved looking at the past Community Voice um, participants and listening to some of their podcasts and just thinking about how you're building on each piece. Um, so today we're looking at this one tool, but as a lens, using this whole measures for community systems, um, for community food systems as a lens to broader food justice issues and what that looks like. Um, we, I wanted to start a little bit by, we started with this because the premise of whole measures was really to find ways to engage community voice in the process of defining what your own healthy and just food system looks like. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background on that, The United States Department of Agriculture has a grant funding program called Community Food Projects. And Community Food Projects funds groups that do, is anyone familiar with that program? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they fund groups that do um, multi-sector work. Uh, They work in food systems, they work in agriculture, and they work on hunger, those three things. And they work mostly with food insecure populations, so that's part of the premise. And each year, um, USDA funds somewhere between 70 to 80 organizations across the country. And they were looking for a way to evaluate what each of these different organizations, some who maybe were doing a youth leadership training program, others were maybe doing a farmer's market, maybe someone was working with small growers, to find a way to measure 
their impact so that they could go to Congress and say, this is what we're doing, and this is why it's important to be in the Farm Bill. And so Whole Measures came out of that really innovative person, Liz Tuckermanty, in the USDA, in the Department of Agriculture, who said, we want some dynamic way of telling the, the quality of the, the story. So we developed two tools. One is uh, indicators for success, where we just collect all the data of how, many, how much food, how many youth, all of that, and then Whole Measures. And Whole Measures was meant to be a way to articulate that community story, much in the way that you've done mm -hmm. through your classes by collecting those stories. So that's a bit of a background. It started as an evaluation tool, but what we found in the first several years of using it is that um, folks weren't ready to evaluate. They were wanting to plan and to strategize, and that whole measures became a way to envision and to plan what they wanted to work towards in their community food system. Um, one important piece about the tool is that, so there's these, I'm going to pass this around. Um, so many of you, how many have seen Whole Measures before or had a class with Kim that approached this? Okay, so many of you are familiar with it. And if you don't mind, just one more. How many of you came to Buford? I didn't realize there might be some folks who were up in Charlottesville. Did anyone? Two, a few three. people? Okay. <coughs> Great. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, it's our middle school. Um, the core of Whole Measures for Community Food Systems are these six fields of practice. Justice and fairness, strong communities, vibrant farms, healthy people, um, sustainable ecosystems, and thriving local economies. And these facets of a food system are meant to sort of represent what a whole system might look like. Now, justice and fairness is a little bit different than the others because it's something that not only is a system in and of itself, but it goes across, it's a practice, it's the way we are. So in Whole Measures, not only is justice and fairness one of the fields, it's also one of the core practices mm -hmm. that we think about when you implement this, it's something that to keep in mind. So we thought it would be good to talk a little bit about that. Um, I, so I think that's my general, oh, oh, what I wanted to do was share a quote. So um, I don't know if y'all have seen this book before. It's called The Color of Food by Natasha mm -hmm. Bowens. It's um, Brown Girl um, Farming is her blog. It's a wonderful collection of stories of um, brown and black farmers and growers around the country. And this particular quote that I want to read is from two friends of mine, Taz Walker and Christina Rivera Chapman, who have a place called Tierra Negra, who had a place, who worked on that. And um, Christina said, I wanted to work in the garden with people who grew up like me and didn't necessarily have a connection to the land or growing food, and thought of dirt as something that you wash off of your hands, not something that you put your hands in. The little ones, they would get magical revelations about growing food. Just digging in the dirt and eating new things would blow their minds. It was so powerful. To question where our food comes from, to question where anything comes from, like our history books or authority, I'd wish I'd had that in my pocket when I was seven years old. It's about food, but it's also about deep change. Mm -hmm. So much of that is reflected in the values and quotes that you all shared. So as much as we're trying to build um, a food system that has equal access, that has access to everyone that has local and culturally available food, we're also trying to uphold some of these high arching values that you all articulated. Mm -hmm. Reciprocity, courage, reconnection, um, fairness, equality, intergenerational, it goes on and on. So that's sort of the high aspirations of what this work is about. We thought we'd start with some examples of how the tool has been used both as a planning, um, as a visioning, and as um, a way to engage community voice and power. 
absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna so add to that, and then we'll probably piggyback off, and then we would love to continue to interact with the rest of you. I do want to just, if you don't mind putting the cover up, just yeah. a moment for the for the book. Um, the, the gentleman on the mic, Renard. Right, yeah, Renard, mm -hmm. Renard Turner actually is a farmer here in Virginia. He is, he was the previous president for the Virginia Association for Biological Farming, and Renard has is serving as our um, on my. Uh, well, it's our advisory group for the AgriAbility program, which is working with farmers and farm workers who have experienced injury, disability, or illness. And Renard's just a champion in many ways. And so I was just really excited this book came out, but it was really great to see how much coverage. And she was able to come to Virginia to, to share her stories about the book itself. So yeah, great. Love to so kind of kind of contextualize that locally for some of us. Um, in terms of the whole measures. Um, there's a, it's a long story for probably for me. The, the trail goes back several years to how it, I engaged with the whole measures. Um, first hearing about it through actually um, several years ago, I was always interested in the Community Food Security Coalition, which has been a, a space for, for people all across you know North America and internationally to think about the significance of food security, community food security movement. And my first conference I went to was, was in the 90s, we'll leave it there, and it was actually in Seattle, and it was right after the Battle of Seattle. Yeah. And it was very much, um, there was a lot of aggregation and concern for the politics in the food system. And I remember being there and having a lot of excitement around, we need to change this. Like The, it, the urgency was so prevalent and so much driven by young voices in the room and I remember thinking this is amazing this is amazing and that was the first time I connected with the community food security coalition forward you know moving always connecting to the work and all the publications and the work that came out of it as a as an eager um, you know community organizer and then graduate student and we won't give into the time frame of that but it, it's really important to keep yourself grounded and for me, the whole measures was a way to, to do that as I pursued my own praxis, my own work. So I wanted to just kind of just pay you know, homage and honor to that history, but also now moving fastly forward to my time here at Virginia Tech. Um, several, there's two things I think are important about the whole measures and how it's impacted uh, the work that many of us are involved in, and one of which, yes, the classroom, the classroom space. That was really exciting to bring in the whole measures and use it as a way for students to start having conversations not only about the values they carry forward, but then how are they going to do something about it? So it's giving some tool, giving some space for that conversation, which for me, in my opinion, I think here, that's one of our most important opportunities as, as a task as an academic we need to make as much space for that critical dialogue and be as real about that as possible and so here's a here's a set of ideas and materials that were really created for the community and so why we need to create a community space here on campus just the same and so using that as a either through assignments to to um, frame how you would go and talk to community members or how to use that as an assessment um, toolkit um, that's been, we've been playing with ideas, always open for <laughs> feedback and how well that works, but I think just, to, just having it in the classroom, then moving into the community and hopefully back into the classroom 
has its own purpose. And so I think that's been, been a real value, both in the graduate and the undergraduate level. Um, but probably more significantly in terms of impact, the maybe you are familiar with the Appalachian Food Shed Project, which has been tied to the graduate course, the, the Food Security and Resilient Communities course that several of you are in right now and have taken previously. So I'm glad to see your faces here. Um, it's the AFP, it's affectionately known as, had really received a lot of buy-in by the community members and partners and as individuals to work together because of the home measures. Hmm. And some in particular, then in our larger region, like, oh, this makes sense. This is the language I can speak. This is the way I would like to work together. And so that was like, oh, this is a, this is a framework. Because what you do in a, in a community project, you propose ideas, you propose frameworks, and you find the right one that fits for the community. And the whole measures became a real significant opportunity to bring people together and then to all obviously use in, a, in that dialogue, you know, proposed way. And also the, the specific words and how to have a conversation around fairness and justice in particular, which one is that still very much a difficulty in, mm -hmm. in some communities. Um, so that, and just to maybe be more specific, here in Southwest Virginia, we use the whole measures as a, a one of one framework. We also use the community capitals framework to help create and implement and therefore uh, um, and analyze our assessment. And that was really a community food security assessment. And I could, well, my colleague Susan Clark and I and many others could probably speak a very long time about that, which we don't have that luxury. But um, we do have a report, if you'd like to read that, which um, maybe I'll bring even copies tonight for yeah, that. That'd be wonderful, because we did look at that in class last week. And it was, the whole measures gave, I think, our community sessions. We had these work sessions. Uh, they were listening sessions, but they were active sessions. Community, the different communities designed their own session the way they thought was important, <coughs> using the conversations that we had previously as we planned for the assessment. So here we have these overarching uh, values that we cared about and we consented to quote the agendas, but then the agendas became very localized based on those values. And then we you know, pursued different um, conversations in each of those sessions and they ranged from 100 people to 235 and it depended on the community and depended on what was important to them at the time. So it had a it had a really rich basis based on their their particular experiences in this in the communities everything from you know <clears throat> how to have a conversation around food access to really working on strategies to make sure our neighbors are fed so there really is a very very large systematic system-wide um, opportunity that the whole measures allows us to have it's it's and that was really useful because people get tripped up on words like food security and they get kind of confused around ideas of community food security. And also, as an academic, when we work with community, using language is, is really important and making sure that language is used that is in consent with one another, that we have an understanding of what it means. So the whole measures did allow for that um, common ground, that common, common language. Not always perfectly, but it allowed us to have an opportunity to use our our governing processes to, to consent to, to agendas, consent to the assessment and how they actually would work together. So it was helpful in process 
and it's also it's helpful in the actual um, implementation of the assessment and then in the evaluative component of the analysis mm -hmm. of the assessment. So I think that's been very, very useful. Um, yeah, I'll bring, that, I'll bring that tonight as, a, as an example of um, how that looked. And some of you who are in, the, in my class right now, we looked at that last week and we even brought one of our um, partners, uh, Kelly Scott, an extension agent, Virginia Cooperative Extension, and she spoke to her experience in that assessment using the whole measures. So um, there's a lot of people who have a lot of connection mm -hmm. to that. But, um, and then I'll end up with this one really quick um, example, which Lorian has uh, referred to. Um, because of the Appalachian Food Shed Project, we were able to launch this, the Stories of Community Food Work initiative that was actually spearheaded by the partners interested in sharing their stories, sharing their work. What does it look like? We, we work and live in isolation. How can we build a better sense of community if we learn to better work together? and then to address the systematic change that we need to take place in this community. I mean, large regional communities. So um, we use the whole measures as a way to begin the conversation with, well, what kind of stories do you want to talk about? What kinds of, what are the ways in which you want to share your story? And so we introduced that idea with the, the food security course the first time we offered it. And I'll move forward with that history, but essentially the whole measures has been a way for we use the, some of the, the, the fields as a way to structure the questions and the prompts. And we also have, we use the whole measures as a way to ask the story givers, the, the crafter of the story, to reflect on it after it's been constructed. And what values do you see from your own work? Mm -hmm. We often get caught up in our story. And then what do we actually learn from that? So they have many words to share, just like what you all did just right now. And that allows to have another level of conversation around the work. Mm -hmm. So again, we're experimenting with that in different ways. Uh, obviously, dialogue is the key to, to the whole measures, from my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that dialogue, in my, from my perspective, can perhaps take place in different kinds of spaces if we make them. Yeah. A few key things that Kim pointed out that I just wanted to highlight again, talking about systems. So as I mentioned, whole measures was developed to understand how this system of a whole of a community food system could be evaluated and, and looked at. So um, and using dialogue, community engagement and discussion as the core vehicle to do that. Um, and she mentioned the Community Food Security Coalition. So this, meet, this meeting at Seattle was one of the first meetings where there was a bit of a rebel, right? Mm -hmm. There was some activity going on because folks were saying, look, the Community Food Security Coalition formed as this academic exercise in what is food security. And out of that, a lot of good things came. This law was, this Community Food Project law was passed. The Healthy Hunger um, Free Kids Act was motivated. But so many of the people representing the food security movement were from an academic background, were were people with, uh, were white people, did not represent the majority of people who were food insecure. So at this meeting, there was a lot of like, you know, we represent the food system too. So over the next 10 years, the Community Food Security Coalition went through this transition of like, how can we as an organization, a national organization, more accurately represent the community? And we eventually decided to dissolve as an organization and to hand off the pieces of our work to these dynamic, community groups around the country that were doing this work. So for example, um, Growing Power in Milwaukee is the growing uh, food and, sorry, 
Growing Food and Justice Initiative that um, Lorianne mentioned emerged out of that dynamic. It emerged out of that conflict. So we were like, you cannot have a conversation about community food security without having a conversation about race and justice. Mm -hmm. And so that is um, part of the context of this. This happened before that conversation, but I think it helps set the stage by making justice and fairness um, a priority for that. And so just to share a little bit about um, in Charlottesville, one of the ways that we're using the home measures is we've um, formed a network called the Charlottesville Food Justice Network, comprised of organizations in the community like City Schoolyard Garden. So our organization is focused on schoolyard gardens, right? There's the Urban Agricultural Coalition of Charlottesville, which focuses on food production in housing development projects, very focused. There's our City of Promise neighborhood that focuses on those things. The International Rescue Committee, um, who has um, a New Roots program with refugees who come who want agricultural um, experiences. The local food hub who works with the farmers. So all of our organizations are getting together and saying, how can we transition who we are in our community? Like, make sure that the voice is um, about change, about these organizational efforts are coming from folks who are food insecure. So that's part of the, um, and all that process starts with values, going out and talking into the community, finding out what are your values around food systems. And um, this evening we'll do this kind of exercise that we do in communities called a gallery walk through which we collect that information. And so today we're hoping to collect your cards if you don't mind leaving them with us and we're gonna use them tonight to see how all of these values tie in together with the food system. Um, So I would love to just start a little bit of a discussion. Do you think yeah, that would be a good great. time? Perfect. So we sort of set the frame. I would love to ask you, what are some of the challenges that you imagine to dominant cultural organizations like um, City Square Garden, like ours, like, an, like the institution, um, for showing up for food justice? Like, what do you think are some of those challenges that we might face? And I'd love to just have a little bit of discussion around that, um, if folks have ideas. Leah Kalinsky. Um, I think one of the hugest challenges are you're bumping up against a framework or context, i.e. neoliberalism, that is pervasive and uber dominant. And you're going to have people that are pushing back on that because it's going to threaten their ability to make insane amounts of capital at the negligence of everyone else. Are you speaking like in the agricultural system? Yeah. Like big ag and yeah. Yeah. OK, great. Thank you. Other folks? Yeah, to make follow-up with what um, Leah just said, uh, I think it's like a little bit hard for like community food to thrive, like f because of the big organizations like agricultural industries. So you know they have more money and they look called people. So sometimes resources can be a problem. Mm -hmm. I think that can be one of the issues though. Yeah, and I have to say, for for my work over the years. We haven't even begun to address that, right? Big ag. The we're mostly even just starting with what is the nonprofit industrial complex. Yeah. I don't know if y'all have you know heard that frame, but we're mostly just looking at that. Like, how can we within mm. this minority movement, with this small movement, be more relevant? And mm. I think the questions around big ag and capitalistic you know systems are even bigger. So yes, thank you for those. I'm just curious to, oh, thank you, I'm sorry. Um, I just am curious to know um, if you all are concerned at all 
about the food served at our schools and also um, what people on welfare can buy. Yeah. I mean, there are so many limits. I think it's very, I was shocked. With the SNAP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, they're not healthy. Right. It's just really weird. Not so weird. I think that's your, you know, money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the main concerns at a community level has to be what culturally is going on in the fact that people don't make fresh food as part of their daily diet. People don't know how to prepare it. They're not willing to buy it. They're looking for that fast food, whether it be pop in the microwave or stop at a restaurant. We've lost that piece of our historical culture. and. It's fine to say we're going to put a community garden in there and people are like, what do we do with that? So getting them to understand the value of that and starting at that very basic level to show that this will improve your entire community by giving you access and giving you freedom then where you can grow your own produce and not be tied into whether it be big agriculture or Kroger, Mm -hmm. that you can do this on your own and giving people that empowerment. I think that's the biggest hurdle that's being faced in a lot of local communities trying to reach out. And maybe even going back to your statement, who's in the room and who's at the table? Mm-hmm. Who needs it the most and who's trying to provide it? Yeah. A lot of times it's the people who don't need it the most that are trying to push it. And that's seen as a not a good conversation. Yeah. I would love to just speak a little bit to those two points together because I think um, so, as I mentioned, City School Yard Garden is where I work, and we work at a school, and our purpose is we host gardens at the public schools, and we also do sort of nutrition education. So, so much of that conversation can narrow down to the individual, right? Like, what are people eating? What are they eating when they come home? And I think that's very dangerous. I think saying um, that the problem is individual food choice, while, of course, that's true. My individual food choices aren't always the best, obviously. Um, I think that's super dangerous because it's not just individual choice. It's a system that's built there to create poverty. And Charlottesville, we, I don't know your community as well, but we have very clear historical examples mm-hmm. of where something, uh, you know, the downtown mall was built in a way that divided a community. So we try and balance, even though we're very focused on individual youth education, exposing, you know, research shows that kids need to be exposed to a new food seven to 13 times. Mm-hmm. So we're working on those 13 times, you know, before they'll eat it. Kids who grow their own food are more likely to eat it. We're working on that. All, working on an individual level, all the while realizing that it's only at a systems. You know, it's not, I, I think the, mm-hmm. the rhetoric that says we need to teach people how to appreciate food, I, um, I resist that. I think it's more about like the stories that you have, you know, asking people questions, hearing their stories. I think taking the time to listen to those stories, then it emerges. We all love food. We all have a history with food. Um, communities of color in Charlottesville, the African-American community specifically, Um, has higher rates of heart disease. There's a a huge sort of white-black divide in our community. But you go back, you talk to our African-American community families, and there are stories, very rich stories, of canning, of growing their own food, of value with that. So I think there's like, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I would just challenge us the way we look at that. And so part of the whole measures is starting with that conversation, starting by asking those questions, pulling those stories out, and then responding to that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to add. I do, I do. I I really appreciate the resistance against putting the ominous on the individual, it's the res- individual responsibility, which is getting back to Leah's point about, yeah. you know, neoliberal capitalist notions of individual responsibility. Where's the role of the public? Where's the role of government, which we will save perhaps for 
another conversation. But See, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> Not being well, an academic, really I was like, <laughs> I don't know what she means, but, <laughs> but, you, but we get But it. it's totally in and there. People get that, that's why, for me, the using the whole measures has been a way to talk about very difficult things. Yeah. I mean, responding to this conversation right now, I would wanted to say was, well, several things, but having a conversation on what is food justice, what is social justice, can has surprised me in different communities how challenging to get the words out, mm-hmm. to get the language out, to actually engage with inequity. Then we can talk about equity. And to use language around why the food system is structured. So there's a systematic analysis. We need to have engagement with that. Mm-hmm. That's sometimes very hidden from many of us. It's very difficult to understand how the food system is designed to benefit some and not benefit others. Mm-hmm. And we can critique that, and it has been critiqued. It will be continued to be critiqued. And let that happen. Engage with that and at all levels. And so the whole measures is a way to even do that, in mm-hmm. my opinion. There's also very analytical levels. I mean, I, I brought one of my favorite new texts you know, from published last year, Cultivating Food Justice. And this is a text that was written by some academics, but yet it's engaged with many, many community stories around why communities of color, why low wealth communities are in fact doing food justice. They've been doing it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And trying to, and embracing really difficult conversations, you know, using language around white supremacy in the food system, using language around what is neocolonial, you know, food, you know, that the economic systems which we're in colonize us the way we think about food access. How do we decolonize ourselves that way? How do we break out of that system? Then for me, the whole measures is a way to start having that conversation as a educative learning experience, but also it can be a very um, organizing process. So it's not an individual, necessarily individual learning experience. Yes, it is. Yeah. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's a how can you create space to dialogue around what's valuable to you. And then we get to say, well, okay, we may not all use the same language. It may take some time. It takes time to do this. You have more experience, obviously, with how much time it takes. But um, that, that urgency, I think, is really there, is to really engage with those harder questions. Mm. And for me, when I hear you know, us talk about what are the values in our community, the ones that you all mentioned, things like courage and patience, things that we all have to have our own interpersonal struggles with. But then you think about how every single person in this room probably does want some dignity in their food system. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Do we even have a conversation around what is a dignified experience with food, from growing it to to moving it through the system to eating it with with others. So I think that's to me what I always go back to is what's the dignified experience. Hmm. And um, I think that that changes the conversation versus going back to the Community Food Security Coalition. That was a ruckus moment. And people were standing up and yelling, this is not about the, you know, the privileged white frame on food, the food movement. We need to challenge that. Mm -hmm. And I speak from that as a middle-class white woman sitting here trying to understand where I've placed myself in this movement. I think we all have that challenge and need to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's something, so for me, the whole measures allows that space and also on a personal level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Susan. One thing that I've always thought um, is that wouldn't it be great to bring home economics back into our schools? 
<laughs> and I think there's an opportunity to kind of overlay the whole measures with the farm to school initiative. Mm -hmm. If we think back, what home economics was, was exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, we just have lost it in a lot of our public schools. Home dealt with the social justice issues within our community. The economics dealt with the economic aspects, but also embedded in that is the ecology of our food, mm -hmm. the ecology of our environment. And if you go look up what the word home economics mean, it means all those things. Yeah. And I think this is a really, op a really good opportunity to educate the, the young kids coming through our school systems. The public schools is, those are, that's a system. And it's one way to start this, to get everyone maybe talking that common language in a, in a real way. Do the Blacksburg schools have home economics? or Like in Charlottesville, it's called um, Family and Consumer Science. They've changed the names, mm -hmm. but it's only an elective in most yeah. of the public schools in schools. our area. Right. Oh, up here, I guess, Lori. <laughs> I'll go ahead and make my comment now. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually just wanted to build upon, you know, what Kim was saying that, uh, you know, to, to go back to the question of what is the biggest challenge when you're trying to work through and implement these kinds of, um, you know, planning processes. And for me, I've been in the room when a lot of these things are being planned out. And it seems like, you know, I've heard someone say it very succinctly. Well, y'all, you know, we're conversing about all this, but it's easy to kick down the barn. It's much harder to build a better barn. But I actually have to challenge that because I actually think it's really dang hard to kick down the barn. And you know, the, the, the system that we have of, you know, Leah mentioned neoliberalism is very like, you know, good word, if you wanna put a word to it. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to kind of dismantle this system that we have, this, this very, you know, um, hegemonic, just dominant so, like norms that we have. And um, the way you do that, and that's what I love about the whole measure so much, I feel like the way you do that, it's a very long, painful, slow process. <laughs> Sorry about painful, but sometimes. Um, but you have to just converse and all this stuff has to come out. And you know, um, we can't jump to, to conclusions, we can't jump to solutions. We have to like actually let those emerge like a year or two or three down the road when we finally all understand all the issues and what's at stake. So um, I think that's a, big, that's a big problem, though, is yeah. because people don't want to be patient throughout that whole process. The handout here that Lorianne made copies of called Stories from the Field shares a few examples of how groups around the country have gone through that long process. And if you haven't read it, it's, I think it's pretty interesting just mm -hmm. to hear their stories. I like what uh, Dr. Clark said about you know reaching the kids because for one, adults are already stuck in their ways, and it's a lot harder to change an adult's mind because, you know, it's like, it just seems like it's a lot easier to have a conversation with a child about something like this because, for one, they're already conditioned to listen. They're already conditioned to learn. Their mind is already in that sponge state. So it's like, you can already infuse that culture into the group of people, and then that stuff just trickles up after they get older. And so... Like, if, you're, if you really want to affect the parents, I feel like it's going to be a thing of the kids actually doing that because parents feed off of what their kids want and need. And so if you have the kids changing the way that they think, then the parents can eventually learn to change the way that they think. We, had, um, we do this program called Harvest of the Month where each month we introduce a local crop 
and we provided as a snack to all the students at the public schools. Um, and uh, the, we did asparagus one month, and then that Saturday at the farmer's market, one of our board members found this parent running around trying to find asparagus. She was like, "Where's the, what stall has asparagus? My kid had it at school, and I have to find some. So. You want to talk on the challenges inherent in the context of agribusiness? No, that's just Bob. It had Bob to be. Has oh, yeah. He's following your those are his cards. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Following your director. Thank you. We have yeah, we have a couple more minutes for questions. Ah, uh, Vera Mirnova, PhD student in AUP planning. I was wondering, so this whole whole measures community framework is still a framework. It's still a metrics. And many of us are very critical to applying some kind of specific metrics to communities all across the country that have completely different socioeconomic issues, completely different, different resources involved. How would you account for adapting that metric? I'm so glad you said that because I forgot to speak to that. Um, so Whole Measures was developed with input from like 100 organizations over two years. We went out into, the com into the, all these organization groups at conferences. We got feedback. And created this metric that has very specific sort of goals under each. But the, the idea is that you totally modify it based mm -hmm. on some communities want to take it and use it as it is, and other communities want to create their own metrics. And if you have the time generating those metrics on your own, and the, the guide talks a little bit about that. So for example, in Charlottesville, we added a whole field on um, culture and identity. Because we felt with the um, refugee community that we have in Charlottesville, there needed to be a specific, like it's in there and the other ones, but it wasn't mm -hmm. highlighted enough in mm -hmm. a way that represented our community. So we added that field. Um, when, when we talk to groups about modifying it, the only thing that we say is you just can't, uh, f justice and fairness needs to be a core central pillar of what you work. But otherwise, you know, modify it in a way that fits mm -hmm. your community. So thank you for bringing that up. Any other comments or questions? She had asked because it's a metric and it's already has all. Oh, yes. Nope, that's fine. Um, what are some challenges to dominant cultural organizations showing up for food justice? I was thinking. I was also thinking one of the the challenges I've always experienced is making the producer side and consumer side mm -hmm. issues kind of come together yeah. to create the food system. Because you you know you have all these people working in ag on that side and then all these people working in nutrition on the that side and I mean bringing them together is always hard. Yeah, that's what's done in every element of activism I've seen in well as in the academics context. There just seems to be this normative to polarize. Mm -hmm. um, even look at the USDA versus the FDA. You can. I mean, it's all. It's 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 systemic mm -hmm. to to not have that conversation together. Um, I think it's really unfortunate, and I've seen resistance to it. Obviously, however, um, I think we become sort of trained to go to what's comfortable and to what we want to talk about. And I think that's you know it's understood. But again, I think we. I think that's a place of unnecessary resistance is to stop talking about um, food and agriculture as if it doesn't have the word community in it, nor does it have food and agriculture in it. <laughs> so I think that's a real um, a, um, significant place to put, I think, our energy as we move forward. 
personally, as someone who cares a lot about agriculture too, the words agriculture is often missing from the conversation. It has its own historical negativity applied to it, and both those that I think are necessary for critique as well as those that need to be engaged with. And I think our, our land-grant systems have both made that accessible as well as made that problematic. Kim just said, you know, I love Wendell Berry. He's my hero. And he says in one of his books that we need to put culture back into the word agriculture and, and, and kind of put it a positive spin on it. And I also want to just say that with the Appalachia Food Shed Project, one of the things that I learned um, was that it does take a lot of time to do this work. It's messy. Um, and it's fragile, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with messy. Um, they like to do things a certain way with structure, and they want results quickly. It doesn't happen that way, and I think you're saying that it took two years to collect this, you know, to, to actually formulate these whole measures is, is a testament to that. I want to thank everybody for coming. This was a fast hour. Um, and appreciate very much this dialogue, and I hope we can continue it uh, this evening at 7 o'clock here in the GLC in Room F, and I hope you'll come along. I want to thank Jeanette and Kim uh, for fascinating comments and for a very swift moving hour. So yeah, thank you very thank much. Thank you all. Thank you all for thank coming. Thank you.